Ephesians chapter 1, please. After a tremendous doxology of praise, it's the work of the Father in eternity past, choosing us, predestinating us to be adopted as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, accepted in the beloved. And then he moved on to the work of the, of the work of the Son on the cross. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven, full forgiveness of sins. He has given us in, abu- in abundance wisdom and prudence. He has spoken to us personally about understanding the mystery of his will, that in a future day, Jesus Christ will bring everything under his headship, both those things in heaven and those things on earth, to the glory of God the Father. Wow. And we also know that we heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and after we trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit at that moment entered us, living permanently in us, sealing us, being our earnest the guarantee of all the future things God has promised us to the praise of the glory of his grace. Then Paul moves to prayer and he says, I remember you. I remember your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. And then he says, I do not cease to thank God for you. Hey, I bet some of those people weren't necessarily the most to be thankful for. But he says, no, I do not cease to give thanks for all of you. Love it. I just love Paul's graciousness. Isn't he gracious? Love it. And then he says that he prays that the church would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. That's the goal. If there's anything we desperately need, we need the knowledge of Christ. We need to count all things lost that we might gain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Knowing him better, knowing him deeper. It's almost like this. If you were to ask me, we've been married 20 years. If you were to say, Brian, tell me about marriage, married life after 20 years. And I were to say, oh, you guys, married life is fantastic. The food, delicious. Man, I, I've, I lived on a, out of a can for so long. Food, uh, uh, not out of a can or a bag. Man, it is, it is fantastic. And the floors, spotless. Not like my old apartment. And the decor, Melissa's decorating. Oh, you know, the decorating, fantastic. You know, I had the early Goodwill um, decor going, but now, boy, she's, she's doing, you know, but, you know, so the food is great, the decorations are great, the laundry is great, all of that is great. What's missing? Melissa! Marriage is not about all of those gifts and all of those things. Marriage is about my wife. It is about, and if, and if somebody asks me about my marriage after 20 years, and that's all I say is all the things that I get out of the relationship, you would think I would be the worst and cruelest husband ever. No, marriage, it's, it's, all about, it's all about Melissa. It's all about her. And then all of the other things that we get, those are just the benefits. Those are just the overflow of the relationship, right? But if you talk to people about Jesus Christ, what do they say? Well, I get this, this, this. I get love, joy, peace, long suffering. I get eternal life. I get a mansion over the hilltop. I get streets of gold. I get visits with Adam and Noah and Esther and Ruth. And I get, I can talk to angels and I can do this and I can do that. And my body is going to go through walls and doors and I can do this and I can do that. What's the problem with that? Where's Christ in it all, right? Where's Christ? So Paul is saying, listen, church, I want you to have a deeper knowledge of Christ. It's all about him. It is who he is and what he has accomplished on our behalf that we need to dig and search out. And I remember when I was first saved, all I knew really, listen, I had studied the Bible, but I had no illumination. I had no spirit of God in me. But when I was born again, literally that Friday night, I can tell you this, I turned to the scriptures and I began to read and I'm like, I get it. 
It's about Christ. It's about his death and resurrection on every single page. And, I, and it just fit together like a glove. I, don't, I, don't, I can't even explain it. It is not that I have intellectual pursuits. I, I did go to seminary classes here and there. But that's it. I mean, I have no fi- official formal training. It's simply that I, I, I get it, I, you know, and I want to be as accurate as possible. But that's the illuminating work of the Spirit. But it's not about all the extra things. It's about Christ. It's always about Christ. Right? And so our confident, ex- Paul says, listen, when I'm praying for you, I want three things for you. Number one, I want your eyes opened to understand the hope of your calling. Because you're going to be shopping for hope and looking for hope, and you're going to be falling into depression and despair, and it is going to swamp your lives. But you need to go back to Christ. Back to Christ. Secondly, look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. See, God has to do this for us. So we pray to him and ask him to give this to us, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We already have the Holy Spirit. Now we want the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word of God to us, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what it's all about. Now move on. He says this, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The, the second spiritual, the second vision system, our spiritual center, the intellect, emotion, and wills, will of ourself, being enlightened, that you may know, number one, what is the hope of his calling, and listen to number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What does that mean? Listen, what is it? We need to know. How dare we be given this letter and not get it, Right? It would, be, it would be horrendous if God gave this to us and said, this is what I want to give you, this is what I want your eyes open to, and we were to say, yeah, that's cool, riches, I'll take it. Yeah, riches, whatever it means. Glorified body, a big mansion, uh, whatever, you know, I'll take it. But that's not what he's talking about. Listen. He wants our eyes open to listen to these phrases. That you may know what are the riches... So that obviously mean, means there's some value. There's some, there's some value tied to whatever he's now going to talk about. You agree? Riches means value. It means worth. It means, it means weight of something that is very costly. He wants us to know something about a value. What is the value? What is the riches of the glory? Okay, so what is glory? Glory is the magnificence, the brilliance, the majesty of Almighty God. It is the fullness and summation of all of his attributes. So now we need to have our eyes open to the richness, the value, the worth of the magnificent brilliance, majesty of God, but of this, of his inheritance. So it's not just of God, but it's the magnificence and brilliance and value and weight and glory of his inheritance. Now he's going to tell us what the inheritance is. In his saints. His inheritance is you. You are his inheritance. Let me ask you a question. What does Jesus gain from going to the cross? Before the cross, he's almighty God. He doesn't gain that. Is Jesus the highest pinnacle of everything before cross, before the cross? Absolutely he is. He doesn't gain any position by going to the cross. 
does he? He doesn't. He, does, he doesn't gain any attributes. He doesn't gain any more God, godnessness. What, what is the reward? What is the reward of Christ going to the cross? It's us. And if we don't have our eyes open to that, God could look down and say, Man, I got gypped. I got gypped. This is what this is what I this is the reward that I died for. This is what I gain. So I'm going to take you through a couple texts real quick. Let's go back. That, I mean, that's the main point right there. Now I'm going to take you back to a few things. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 9 with me. Deuteronomy chapter 9. We get this whole concept throughout the Bible. Israel is God's possession. It's God's inheritance. Out of all the nations, God picked one nation and said, I'm going to have one nation that's going to be my inheritance. They will be my people and I will be their God. There will be an intimate union relationship and, and they will do what they were designed and created to do. They will be to the praise of my glory. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 9, here's what God says about Israel in verse 29. Verse 29. In the context of their disobedience rebellion, can you believe in this context? God says, I know you're going to be a wicked and rebellious people. You are hard-hearted. And the very day that I choose you, you will turn away from me. You will be stiff-necked. You will go and chase after other gods. You will love the raising cakes of the pagans rather than a relationship with me. And you will weary me, weary me with your endless multitude of sacrifices, but your heart will never be in it. That's what he tells them. But then he says this in verse 29. Yet they are your people... This is Moses talking. Yet they, the nation Israel, are your people and your inheritance. That's what God gets. God's going to get the nation Israel as his inheritance. Whom you brought out by your mighty power. He redeemed them from physical slavery and by your outstretched arm. That's the Exodus. Amazing. What's the reward for God doing all the mighty moving of the Red Sea, the Ten Plagues, the Angel of Death, the Passover? Why go through all that rigmarole? Why? So he could gain a nation as his inheritance. And no sooner did he gain them than three days later, what happened? We hate this food. Yuck. We don't get enough to drink. We like the cucumbers and leeks and onions in Egypt. We loved it being under the physical taskmasters called the Egyptians who forced us to get our own straw and get our own mud and make our own things and then build our own bricks and build it. And we loved that. We hate you, God. We loved that, though. Wow. I bet God was thinking, but you're my reward. <laughs> you're, you're what I did it all for, Right? Look at chapter 32, Deuteronomy 32. Moses says this. Again, at the end of his life, Moses, Moses said, Deuteronomy 32, look at this. Verse 7. Oh, there's so much in this text. We, I wish we had time to go through it, but it is kind of neat. But verse 7, remember the days of old. 16 times in Deuteronomy, 16 times Moses says, remember, remember, remember. It's just not, listen, you guys, it's not just that we need to learn new things. Yeah, there's always new things to learn in, the, in God's word. Sometimes we just need to remember. Remember, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, he will tell you. Your elders, and they will, or they will show you, he will show you. Your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations... That's Babel. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples. He, made, he established all the countries at the Tower of Babel. Listen to what it says now. 
according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Do you feel like God got gypped when he picked Israel? You couldn't get a more nasty, disobedient, rebellious nation, could you? I, I don't think so. Take your Bibles. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to first or Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Listen to this. We'll begin in verse 3. Let's read it. I won't expound on it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what Paul says to the Thessalonians. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, praise God, and, your, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Kind of like the Ephesian love, faith and love, right? But the Thessalonians, man, they were exceedingly abundant in their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. Their faith was growing and growing and growing. Boy, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love that? Like, if God were to say, hey, you want to, let me describe Faith Baptist. Wow, your faith is growing exceedingly. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The more you know of God's Word, the, the stronger your faith is in the object of Christ. So your faith is to grow exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. For your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Because as they lived for Jesus Christ, others did not, and it just showed God is going to judge the ungodly and he's going to reward the saints. That's the way it is. It's just clear evidence that there is holiness and righteousness on earth, and there's rejection of Christ and ungodliness also. But then he says in verse Six, uh, verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us, here it is, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's talking about the second coming, the glorious coming of Jesus. How how is Jesus coming? We know from Zechariah, the end chapters, how he's coming. Verse 8, he's coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So that's 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 the... Reward of the unsaved. When he comes in that day to be, here it is, verse 10. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Listen, if I were to ask you, why should you get saved? Why should you be saved? Why should you trust in Jesus Christ? You know what the number one answer is? I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to a lake of fire. Who wants to do that? And even my preaching can be so man-centered. You know what humanism is? Humanism, humanism is this. They say that the chief end of man is man's happiness. As long as man is happy in the end, then whatever works, works. 
That's the idea of humanism and pragmatism. And sometimes we offer the gospel and we say, you know why you should be saved? Get out of hell. Why, who wants to go to hell? Go to heaven. What do you get in heaven? Eternal life. You get to eat all the food you want and never gain any weight. You get to be around where there's no sin. You get a, a mansion. You get streets of gold. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a great life because you know what? God has promised us a great life. Is that why we should be saved? Should we be saved simply because we are going to get a good life in the future versus a bad life in a lake of fire? And I would say that is totally what we think, but that is not what Ephesians 1 is saying. Paul is saying to the Ephesians, open your spiritual eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That you are Christ's reward. And the only way that Jesus Christ is going to get glory from his human race is when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we give him adoration and praise and we admire him and we glorify him. Then he, he, that's all he wants. He wants the glory. He wants to be admired and glorified by his reward, by his inheritance. Doesn't that make natural sense? He dies, he pays an an infinite penalty on a a on a cross, whatever an eternal lake of fire would, would feel like, he pays, and his reward is redeemed mankind. Why should we love him and worship him and praise him publicly and then obey him? Doesn't he want obedience? He wanted it from Adam and Eve in the garden, and they disobeyed. He wanted it from Israel, and they wouldn't obey. He wants it from the church, and we don't obey. We are the reward for all of his suffering on the cross. And if we knew the value, the riches, of the glory of his reward, his inheritance, which is you and I, our lives would be different. Wouldn't they? If the Holy Spirit were to open our our spiritual sense and say, you are the reason Christ died, you are the reward, you are the benefit and the blessing for why he suffered on the cross, When it came to rebelling against him or wandering off into sin, we would be like, if I do that, I am defrauding Christ from his reward. It's almost like if I was a creator of microwave ovens, and I were to make, I know exactly what a microwave oven should do. I know exactly how it should work. And I assemble them and I put them together. And every single one rebels. Every single one doesn't do what they were created to do. But I know they should because they can do it. I know it. That's why I created them. So then I I, I take my equal and I have them become a microwave to rescue these broken microwaves that are in rebellion. And he does, but he has to become a microwave and stay a microwave forever, this companion of mine. So he becomes a microwave. And yet, and, and, and and he suffers and dies for these other microwaves, but... But even after he does that, they still don't want to do their work. They still, they still don't want to function like a microwave. Would you almost think, what a crazy plan. God wants our eyes open because Christ suffered greatly on the cross, but he did it for you. Listen, not so that you get a home in heaven. He didn't do it so that you get a good life in the future, although you're going to get a good life in the future. He didn't do it so you could have all sorts of joy and happy feelings and, and the rest of your life is going to be, hey, it's like a great retirement. Right? No. 
the number one reason why Jesus Christ saved you is because it is the only way he is going to get glory from fallen creatures. And he demands our glory. He demands our praise. That's what he desires, doesn't he? That's what if, if we don't do that, who is going to? The rest of the world won't. And yet, if you look at the... Is the church doing this? Is the church... Wow. Look at that Second Thessalonians passage again. Verse 10. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints. That's what he wants. He wants to be glorified. What, therefore, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're not doing it for any self-centered end. Why should I be saved? Why should I place my faith in Jesus Christ? It's not for all the benefits and blessings of salvation that I'm going to get. Because if I do that, that is so man-centered. It is all about me and what I get, and I'm just thankful that somebody else chipped in the, the, the debt. I'm just glad that they got the debt paid so I can go off. That is, that is not where Paul or God wants us. Paul is writing, May the Holy Spirit open your eyes to see that you are the valued richness of the suffering of Christ in the deepest of fires as the Father poured His wrath upon the Son for whatever would be an eternal payment of sin. And our response is, I am not my own. I am yours. I am going to speak forth your praises and I don't care what the rest of the world says. That is what I am designed to do. That is what I am created to do to praise the glory of God's grace. There's another text. Go to 1 Peter 2. Listen to this. 1 Peter 2. Boy, if we could just see, if we could just see that we are God's inheritance, we are the reward that Christ suffered and died for, that would be so radically transforming to our lives. No longer would we be so self-centered No longer would it be all about me and my happiness and, boy, I wish my wife was better. I wish my life was better. I wish my job was better. I wish the weather was better. I wish my church was better. It would be like, Christ died for me. I am his reward. All I'm I'm going to do is lift up and exalt and praise his name. Look at what he says in in 1 Peter chapter 2. I know the teens were just studying this this morning. Praise the Lord. Verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men. This is Jesus Christ. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Do you see Jesus Christ as precious? I mean, doctrine's precious. The word of God's precious. But do you see Jesus as being precious? Do you see that Jesus is not simply the means to an end? Jesus is the end. He is the end. He is the goal, the the summation of all things in our life, right? Verse 5 says, You also as living stones. Since we're also living stones, we're also going to be rejected by men, expect it, but we are also chosen by God and we are indeed precious by God. It says here, As living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He had a physical priesthood, the Levites, with a physical temple offering physical sacrifices. And I bet he looked at them and said, wow, um, 
When I picked all this, I, I got gypped. I expected more, but that's not what I got. Hold your place here. Listen to, go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 43. Listen, can I tell you, can I show you what kind of God we have out of Isaiah 43? You should learn this text. Go to it often. Isaiah 43 verse 22. As you know, I could, every sermon I could go into Isaiah somehow. Isaiah 43, verse 22. Look at his holy priesthood. Look at his nation in the Old Testament with a physical priesthood, physical temple, physical sacrifices. Are you at Isaiah 43, 22 with me? Here's what God says. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob. There are his inheritance, and they won't even call upon him. They, they, won't even cry, they won't even pray. They won't call upon him. And you have been weary of me, O Israel. They were, they were tired of him. He chose them Died for them, they're, they're his inheritance, and, and they're, they're just, they're tired of him. I, I talk to believers, and they just, they're tired of church. They're tired of serving. They're, they're here, they're here for a little bit, and then they're gone. Then they're here, and then they're gone. Then they're here, and then they're gone. And then after a couple years, they're back, then they're gone. And then meanwhile, I'm thinking, why am I so odd? You know, when I was saved 24 years ago, I told the Lord... I, I did. I can tell you exactly when it happened. I was like, Lord, it just struck me. And I think I told most of you the story, but I had my business. It was profitable. I was making money. I still had all my rentals and all of that. I had 300 envelopes in my hand. I had them all stamped. I was explaining, I'm leaving the business. I'm closing down. I'm going to study the Bible. It's all about the gospel for me. And I walked over to the mailbox down by Mr. D's in West Duluth. That's when the post office was there. I don't know if it's still there, but that's where it was then. And I remember going to that door and I thought... I can't do that. I'm not, I can't, if I mail these letters, I'm going to lose my business. And I'm going to lose my life. And I loved my life. I could play pool. I mean, I could do anything. I, I mean, hey, money. I could, I could do anything I wanted. I was my own boss. A little mini mall, money. I mean, I, I, I had everything. So I, I, I walked away from the post office with all these envelopes thinking, I just, there's no way I can mail these letters. That's, that means an end to my old life. And, and I don't want that. I got about halfway to right there on the corner of 57th and Grand. And, uh, and I thought, if Jesus Christ is real, if he really did die on the cross, if he really rescued me, then it's not about what I'm going to get out of the deal. It's not about my eternal life in heaven. It's not about all the fun I can have and all the food I can eat and all that I can do in heaven for all eternity. It's about him. It's about what can he get out of it? See, we think of salvation as what can I get out of it? I got to get something for my salvation. I get to trust. It's free. But I want something to get. I got to get something out of it or it's not a good deal. No. It's not what we can get out of salvation. It is what does Christ get out of the deal? So I had all those envelopes and I thought, you know what? I am done. It is all for Christ. I am jumping in both feet all the way. I walked back, mailed those letters, basically put a sign on the door. I gave everything away. I didn't, even, I didn't even bother selling stuff. I was like, you want, I had 12 pianos in 12 lesson rooms. And I was like, you want a piano? Just haul it away. I mean, they were, de- they were good pianos. I had drum sets. I had timpani. I had, I had chimes. I had gongs. I, had, I mean, I had a boatload of stuff. And then I just was like, I don't want it. I don't want a penny of it. I don't. 
I gave the keys back to the bill. I walked away from everything. I was like, I, I don't want it. Because I'm jumping a whole, I'm, I'm both feet in for Christ. I'm, I'm not going to waver. I don't want one foot here, one foot there, one foot here, one foot there. No way. So here, they got tired of it. And they were like, we're just tired of you, God. We, we, we liked our old life. Verse 23, you have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings. You know what burnt offerings were? Voluntary. God never required a burnt offering, ever. It was always voluntary. You only give it if you want to, but when you give it, it's going to cost you. And they didn't bring him anything. How do you feel about that? I'm, I died and suffered on the cross for you. Of course, it hasn't happened yet in Isaiah's day, but that's the, the point. And yet, you wouldn't even bring me a voluntary burnt offering. Then he goes on. Nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you. He didn't lay any burdens. He didn't put any burdens of, of anything on them. Verse 24, you have, bu- you have bought me no sweet cane with money. You know what? The God of heaven, had they just bought him some sweet cane with money out of their own pocket, he would have been like, thank you, my child. Thank you. Yes, you love me. You love me. Right? Just a little bit of sweet cane. Nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but what have you done? You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. And if I were to write the rest of the text, I would say, be gone with you, Israel. I should never have suffered for you. You were a lousy inheritance. Go back to where you were. But that is not our God. Look at what our God says. Verse 25, I, even I, and he who blots out your transgressions. Why? For my own sake. Not for yours, Israel. It's not because you deserve it and you have earned it. I'm blotting out your transgressions for my sake because I chose you as my inheritance and you are mine. See, isn't that great? And I will not remember your sins. Oh, wow. That is a God of grace. So let's go back and we'll finish this first Peter text and I'm done. So we, have, we in the church have a spiritual priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices and I've listed those out before. I think there's five spiritual sacrifices we can offer that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it's contained in scripture, verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes in me will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe... He, Jesus Christ, is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Verse 9, But you, here it is, But you, church, are a chosen generation. We don't have common physical ancestry with physical characteristics. But we are a family of believers. We are a chosen generation. We are tied together by Jesus Christ in union with him, in unity with one another. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And get this, his own special people. Literally, we are his special possessions. We are his reward. We are his inheritance. So we should do what we're designed to do. Sing out to the praise of his glory. He's going to tell us what he wants us to do. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I think that's happening even this morning. I think God is calling some people that are in darkness out of that into marvelous light. Pray. 
Before you go to bed tonight, pray, pray, pray. And then he goes on. Verse 10, who once were not a people, he's quoting from the whole issue of Hosea and Gomer, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, we once weren't a people, and now we are. We we once were lost in sin and trespasses, but God rescued us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he has made us his inheritance. His inheritance? It's in the saints. His inheritance is not in creation. It's not in the expansive universe. His his inheritance is in his saints. And who are his saints? You and I. So we need to have our eyes opened that we are his... Listen, stop thinking about what you're going to get in the future and start thinking about what he's going to get. Right? Then this whole week, you're going to have a whole different mind focus because the Holy Spirit's opening your eyes to... What is, what is Jesus Christ getting out of the whole deal? He's getting me. He's going to get my attitude this week. He's going to get my relationship with my wife this week. He's going to get my relationship with the church this week. He's going to get my relationship with my students at school this week. He's going to get all of that as his reward. Now, should that affect me? You bet it will. Because no longer am I thinking, I'm so glad I'm saved because I get, 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 get. Now it's, what does Christ get out of the deal? I am his, and he is mine. Awesome. I'm really praying now for the church to have two things. Know the hope of your calling, and know the riches of the glory of his inheritance, his reward, which is in the saints. You are his reward. Now, act on it, right? Act on it. You have the power, and that's that's what comes next. Doesn't this make sense? Because we don't leave it there. What, in order for us to be his inheritance that will please him, what do we need? The power of the Holy Spirit in us. So what's his third point? God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit, which exceedingly works towards those who believe. And then he's going to lay out all of the power that raised Christ from the dead. We're going to talk about that next Sunday morning if I'm preaching. I know it's a youth service, but I think I'm still preaching. Um, but listen, we're going to talk about what happened at the tomb that was so powerful. What happened to the ascension? I'm going to take you to Colossians. I've already studied this out. You would not believe what happened in Colossians um, regarding the resurrection, the ascension, and the dominion of Christ. And then we're going to, then we're going to work our way into chapter 2 and find out that all of that power took, spiritual, uh, took spiritually dead people, made them alive, seated us with Christ. Praise the Lord. You guys, we are so richly blessed. How can we not... Be so charged up out of Ephesians 1 through 3, this in the first three chapters. How can we not just get so charged up about Christ? He is good. Satan is bad, but God is good. Father, thank you for this text. Help us to remember this week with spiritual alertness, with the Holy Spirit giving us wisdom and understanding about the riches of the glory of his inheritance, which is found in the saints this week. We're not going to ask, what do we get out of this deal with Christ? What is he going to give us this week? Is he going to give us joy, love? and Is he going to give us peace? Is he going to make everything better? Is, is he going to heal my diseases? Is he going to make me more rich? We don't want to think about what Christ is going to do for us this week. We want to find out, what does he get out of this deal? What is his, how is his reward going to work in a wicked, corrupt world? How are we going to shine and proclaim the praises of the God who took us out of darkness into his marvelous light? How are we going to respond this week to that glorious news? Let's never forget, Father, teach us never to forget that we are your, the reward of Christ on the cross. 
to the praise of His glorious grace, God's people said, Amen.